This is the question I always ask. Has the podcast started? The podcast... A little like sex. I'm never quite sure. Hey, everybody. We are back with another episode of Working It Out. This is Mike Birbiglia. We have a very, very special guest today, uh, Nathan Lane. Uh, I want to mention one thing before we get started. The tickets are going fast for the uh, my virtual show, the Worldwide Comedy Pizza Party. That is uh, March 24th through 27th. Order your own local pizza. I'm going to order my own local pizza. It's all jokes about pizza. We're doing slow round questions about pizza. And uh, so get your tickets. But uh, today we have uh, Nathan Lane. It is uh, uh, such an honor to know him and to to witness his work. He is a three-time Tony Award winning, Emmy Award winning actor uh, from The Producers and Angels in America and A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum and uh, The Birdcage. And I mean, he's just done everything. He's been, you know, The Good Wife and, and Modern Family. I mean, just like he's, he's done everything. He's, he's played a huge part in my personal life and in my career, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with the great Nathan Lane. This is a unique episode uh, in that we've known each other for a long time, and we have a long story, and I want to get it all in. Uh-huh. And so I wrote a little piece for the beginning. And it's very unusual, and I'm going to refer to you in it in the third person. Okay. Are you okay with that? Sure. What, what am I you, doing? Yeah. <laughs> do, whatever, uh, do whatever you want. You can chime in Okay. Uh, if you want, and you can correct me. You can make fun of me. You can do whatever you want. Like an old married couple. Okay. That's right. So, uh, But I just wrote this out today because I thought it would give people some context. Um, in March of 2008, I performed at Caroline's on Broadway Comedy Club for the weekend. And it, it just so happened that I decided to perform three different sets that weekend. My first album, Two Drink Mike, my second, My Secret Public Journal, and an early version of my solo show, Sleepwalk With Me. That way, people who had seen one of the shows might return to see multiple shows. No one did that. <laughs> It assumed that my audience's fervor for my comedy was such that they would come to see me at a nightclub three nights in a row like I'm the Grateful Dead of comedy, which I wasn't and still am not. But you thought that was going to happen? Nathan, I'm so delusional. I really, every step of the way, I've been so delusional. We all have to be a little delusional in show business. How else can you survive? No, you're absolutely right. And it was, it was, it was, it was a very, it's an embarrassing detail about that weekend. But the other one, the other detail that's embarrassing is the audiences were light. But when I showed up to work on Saturday, the manager, Kenny, told me Nathan Lane was in the audience. And this was shocking. Because Nathan (laughs) Lane, (laughs) it really was. It was what probably that, that alone was one of the biggest deals that ever happened in my entire career. You just showing up in the audience. Oh, no, no, no. It was. I mean, maybe it's better than, you know, Jamie Farr is in the house. But, uh, I, well, I'm very touched to think that you, it, it was uh, an exciting moment for you. It's another part of your delusion. Uh, let's put it that <laughs> So Nathan was an actor and comedian I'd watched uh, on Letterman for years. I was actually re-watching your 1995 appearance today and laughing really hard. Nathan always killed. His name was always in lights when I walked through Broadway. I distinctly remember not being able to afford tickets to his Tony Award-winning performance of The Producers <laughs> the year I moved to New York. And the reason I remember is because everyone would ask me, oh, you're a comedian. Have you seen The Producers? And of course, I couldn't afford it, but I would just say, I haven't made it there yet. <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile, my bank account was in parentheses. So... So back to 2008, I perform a version of Sleepwalk with me at Caroline's. And after the show, Nathan didn't come backstage. And I kept asking the manager, 
is Nathan coming back? And he kept circling the lobby. He finally came back and said, Nathan is gone. And I was crushed. All right. Now let me interrupt. <laughs> yeah, please, please. Unless you're, unless you're going to explain. No, no, of course. Oh, no. I mean, I did go back. And, oh, really? Oh, yes. I went back and there was a big line and I to, to get in to see you. It, uh, I, yeah. So in, in spite of what you thinking it was a lighthouse, they, they obviously loved you and there were a lot of people. So I didn't um, I didn't want to wait because I didn't know you. I was just a fan because yeah. I had seen you uh, on Comedy Central performing and thought you were great. And so which is why I went and then was very surprised uh, that it was this early version of Sleepwalk with me. It was not your typical stand-up material, uh, although ex- extremely funny. Um, so I left. But then oh, I okay. I sent you a bottle of champagne and a note That's right. to explain that I had gone back, but it was crowded, so I left and just wrote you the note and sent you champagne. Thank you for a wonderful performance. Did I not? That's that's right. And that's what I wrote. I, the next night I show up for the final show and there's a bottle of Dom Perignon and, uh, and a handwritten note from, from Nathan Lane that said, uh, paraphrasing, what you're doing is very special. Keep going. And I was headed to California the next morning for what would become a failed sitcom pilot with my name on it. And when I was filming... I I felt so consistently defeated that I put the the handwritten note in my dressing room on my mirror, which was which was a, a reminder that at least Nathan Lane thinks that I'm funny, and uh, I don't know if I've ever told you that actually. Many times, <laughs> like, you know, is there? I don't think there's a time you haven't brought it up, but. <laughs> And I, but again, I am very touched that uh, it that it meant that much. So, so I um, when I get back from California from the failed pilot, I wrote you a note, and you called me, and said, "Mike," in a pitch perfect impression of Nathan Lane. <laughs> you said, "It's Nathan Lane," <laughs> and I was momentarily stunned, regained composure. And said that Jen and I would love to come to your play, which was November by David Mamet at the Barrymore, and get dinner afterwards. We saw it. We were blown away. And then we went to dinner at a quiet uh, uh, restaurant. And at one point, Nathan Lane said, so are you two going to get married? (laughs) (laughs) I had been asked this by family and friends, but Nathan asking was a different type of inquisitor. This was someone I admired for many years and who I may never see again. (laughs) So my answer in some ways was to speak for the next 10 or 20 years. So I said, yes, I think we are. And Jen said, that's the first I've heard of it. Wow, I, I now I sort of remember this. Yeah, it was a look of surprise on her face. (laughs) So, and, uh, and Jen and I were talking about it. Well, and I it, was I was merely, it was like an uncle at Thanksgiving saying, hey, you t- two kids getting married? And yeah, and I really, it really uh, shifted things. It did. And uh, part of me saying yes was, was that I, like I said, I might never see Nathan again. And part of it was that, uh, that Nathan Lane makes me nervous or something. <laughs> I say this with love. There's something about when Nathan stares into you that forces you to tell the truth. And I witness it in his, with myself and in his cast whenever I see him in a play. There's an, there's an honesty to every show he's in because he's in it. Oh. So a month, after, a month after the dinner, Jen and I went to City Hall and we got married. And, and who would be our witness? We called Nathan Lane on the way to City Hall and asked him to meet us with his partner, Devlin Elliott. But that's because two people dropped out, right? It was my friend Ptolemy Slocum was the first Ptolemy, person we called. That's, I'm always saying, you know, he had that. <laughs> I say it's Pythagoras. <laughs> but yes, Ptolemy. When you said Ptolemy couldn't make it, I was like, oh, man. And and maybe and Plutarch was busy. Like, <laughs> he, he couldn't. He was he was, uh, he was in the middle of writing. So 
Oh, yes. No, I remember it was a July, hot July day. And yes. Devlin and I, being homosexuals, put on suits <laughs> and down to City Hall. And you and Jen were like in shorts and, and teeth. <laughs> Like you were, you know, on a, a kibbutz in Israel, and then there was there was a long line. Yes, uh, and I said to you, um, "Well, maybe someone, the lady at the desk, will recognize me, and we can move things along." And, <laughs> and you said in a very, in a very uh, uh, earnest way, "Oh, Nathan, I don't want any special treatment." And I said, "Really? Because I live." For special treatment. <laughs> Only reason I went into show business it was in the hopes of getting special. Oh, treatment. that's very funny. And fortunately, the lady did recognize me, and you did sort of <laughs> skip the line a bit. And yes, then, and we got in much sooner than you know was anticipated, and uh, and you you had your beautiful ceremony, and then afterwards, I thought, oh, you must be going on a honeymoon, and you said, no, we're going to go see a movie and get some pizza. We took the one train up up to our apartment, and we went to Big Nick's and had pizza and hamburgers, and we took a nap. But um, a few years later, Nathan also got a special treatment when Jenny and I were asked by Nathan and Devlin to be the witnesses for their wedding at City Hall, except this time we were in this very nice, pleasant sort of non-DMV building next to City Hall that was nothing like where we were that I didn't even know existed. And uh, and it was the most emotional wedding I've attended to this day. Even Mike Pence would have cried, but for other reasons. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there, but there was an intensity in the wedding because the seriousness with which Nathan took the vows was the se same seriousness with which he takes the stage. He's telling the truth. So back to summer of 2008, Nathan offered to put his name on my show Sleepwalk With Me, which was about to be my off-Broadway debut and I never say this because it feels tacky, but he never took any money from the show. We didn't have a contract. He just said, use my name. Maybe it'll help. And the show ran for eight months and it changed my career forever. And every few days, an audience member would approach me and say, when we saw Nathan Lane's name on the show, we thought it was going to be a musical. And I would say, there are no refunds, ma'am. Huh. And and then in in, in and then the and then in closing, uh, my dad never wanted me to be a comedian, but Nathan Lane did, and I'm very lucky for that. Well, that reminds me of the only, you know, I never had any notes. It was never my. I would never felt it was my place. I was just presenting. I was emotionally involved, but not financially. But my only note to you was once you would change the ending. And uh, you you had that great, brilliant ending, which you then went back to. Which is my dad saying, don't tell anyone. Whatever you do, don't tell anyone. Like, that was the perfect ending. And I think you tried out one other ending that one night. Yes. I saw it, and I thought, oh, no, you've got to. It's the best ending, one of the best closing lines to a play since um, the son of a bitch stole my watch. <laughs> In the front page. Or, it's so funny uh, because... To hear you talk about plays, like you're one of these people who, and I've I've only had professors in my life who have the depth of knowledge that you do about film and theater history. And so, so like, for example, when you were working on the O'Neill play, uh, Iceman Cometh, and Laurie Metcalf was working on Long Day's Journey in, in the West End, and right. there was this there, a series of letters between you in the New York Times that were published. There's, <laughs> I saw both shows, actually. Jen and I went to the West End, we saw Laurie, and we saw your show in Chicago, and then we saw it in New York. The experience of spending time with you versus Laurie after the show is very different. Laurie, <laughs> <laughs> Laurie came off stage, and we're all crying, we're all a mess, and she just goes, so where are you guys staying? You know what I mean? Like, Right. So Lori, yes, yes. And then you and then you come off and it's like you are I feel like you're living inside <laughs> of Eugene O'Neill's skin for a for a week afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that that role will do that to you. Um yeah, no, Lori, 
you know, she's a, a genius. She's just, you know, she does it. You don't know how she's doing it. You can't catch her acting, and yet it's devastating. And then she comes off and says, hey, let's go get a, you want to play poker? Let's go get some wine. And, you know, it's like, that's, that happened. And now I'm, I'm Laurie again. No, Clean slate. Clean for slate. Me, for me, it's, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm like Judy Garland's. Every time I perform, <laughs> I, I die a little, as Frank Sinatra once said. No, I, um, that show in particular, because of what it, it, it costs you to, to, to go to that place. Yes. Um, it was, it was, it was haunting. It was, um, uh, uh, when I, um, uh, the year that Denzel Washington later did it uh, on Broadway, uh, George C. Wolfe directed it, and he played Hickey, and I saw him in a, a Tony luncheon. I was doing Angels in America at the time. So yeah. I, we saw each other across a crowded room, and I don't, I don't know Denzel Washington. I just, I think he's one of our greatest actors. And he, um, yeah. so he came over, he saw me, and he started pointing to me and he came over and he, he just leaned in and he said, you know what I'm going through. Oh my gosh. And uh, I said, no. Oh yes. Yes, I do brother. And I'm with you. No, a hundred percent. Yeah, no, it's a, it's, I mean, that's sort of the, the greatness of the play. Uh, what it, what is asking you to do as you know, O'Neill is asking you to be as brave as he is in the writing. And, and it's a, it's an awful place to go. Uh, and in our, my case, it was we were only doing it six times a week. But believe me, that was enough because I was I was haunted by it. I would I wouldn't sleep. I would yes. think about it all night. I would you know. And then you, and especially a, a huge play like that. You know, we're talking about close to five hours. So it was five hours. Yeah. So you think about oh, what what didn't go right? What maybe did? Maybe a little breakthrough here or there. And uh, you know, it's. Look, it was just one. It was a, a life changing experience to do it. Yeah, I mean, and and Angels in America, of course, is I would say equally dark. Certainly, your character Roy Cohen is so is so dark. I mean, does it hurt your quality of life when you leave the stage to be um, Roy Cohen? No, unlike uh, Hickey. <laughs> Um, look, that's, it's a, again, a Tony Kushner, it's, it's just one of, it's just one of the greatest plays and one of the greatest parts ever written. And, but for some reason, I, I really enjoyed being Roy Cohn. Oh, did you really? Oh, yes. I liked, you know, manipulating people or trying to destroy them or it's, it's like a total... <laughs> I don't know. He was so confident and felt, you know, he was so in the right. Sure. About all these things that, that were reprehensible. Wow. But he was so brilliant, you know, if only it had been used for good rather than evil. Yeah. But um, no, I, it was invigorating to that. I mean, that, tiring, you know, on a two show day when you're talking about a three and a half hour and then a four hour play, two plays, um, but it was the most satisfying way to do it, and, and that going on that journey, especially the audience, you know, uh, was so uh, prepared and up for the experience of this, this communal experience of, of, of <laughs> you know, we'll go out for dinner in between and come back. Oh, no, I know. See the second half, which is certainly the way to do it. And um, it was when you, by the time you get to the end of that experience, it's, it's, um, it's so fulfilling and, and, and some of the greatest scenes ever written, you know? The, oh yeah. So, um, no, that was, that was just thrilling. I was just, I felt like uh, I'm the luckiest boy in all of Christmas. <laughs> Stepping away from my conversation with Nathan Lane to send a shout out to Freshly. I love Freshly. Freshly? I like Freshly so much that I wrote a piece for The New Yorker uh, called How to Say I Love You, comma, Freshly, which is uh, about sending it to my parents. It's, uh, it's like chef-made, nutrient-packed, delicious meals delivered to your door, Freshly. No cooking required. 
you just like, you know, stick it in the oven or wherever you stick things to make them hot for a few minutes and then they're done. They're not frozen. They're just, uh, they're cooked. They're just, they're ready to eat. They're fresh. <laughs> Lee, <laughs> right now, Freshly's offering our working out listeners $40 off your first two orders when you go to Freshly.com slash Burbigs. That's Freshly.com slash B-I-R-B-I-G-S for $40 off your first two orders. And now, back to the show. So, Nathan, this is this thing that we do on the show called The Slow Round, and it's a lot about sort of memories and things like that. And one of the questions is, what's the hardest you've ever laughed? And I, I feel like I have distinct memories of seeing you laugh uh, uh, particularly hard with uh, Matthew Broderick. Oh, yes. Yes. No. Um, yes. Matthew is it's not it's not too dissimilar to uh, George Burns and Jack Benny. <laughs> Matthew uh, can easily destroy me um, very easily. And, <laughs> yeah. And um, because he's so I mean, he is incredibly witty, but he's um, there's just his attitude is he has a very funny subversive underneath the, you know, sweet demeanor. He's yeah. He's, he's a very subversive fellow. <laughs> very, very. And um, yeah, he's wildly funny. And of course, you know, we became friends and bonded through this wild um, experience of doing that show, of doing the producers. And, you know, and, you know it, it, to go through that with someone, to be like part of the Beatles, <laughs> whatever it was, the Hamilton of its day, yeah, I mean, that show was so big. I mean, it was like, you know, it won the most Tonys of all time. And it was, you know, so prestigious and talk of the town. And then I just love hearing you talk about how sort of silly it was between you and Matthew Broderick and how you'd goof around sort of on and off stage. Um, you know, he, what he'll do is, he, even though we're mic'd, he would talk to me under his breath. <laughs> no, oh, he no. Would, so he would be playing the character, and no, then no sort of like a, a running DVD commentary. <laughs> and he would say, he would do the line, and then he would, and then I would react. And under his breath, he would say, "Oh, someone's been working on their scenes." You got to be kidding me! That's a new choice. It happens with any show uh, if something is successful. You know, even Groucho Marx talked about it in his famous Carnegie Hall concert when he did Animal Crackers. You know, in the beginning, people were laughing riotously at something. And then sort of three months, four months in, you know, you start to get more of the tourists. And so certain jokes don't land the same yeah. way. They, yeah. You know, things that, and so, you know, <laughs> Groucho would recite this, um, insane poem that he had that used to kill, but then when the tourists came in, got nothing. Oh, that's fascinating. Uh, and then, so uh, in the producers, there was like a joke. Um, uh, the, the two rules, I would say that there were two rules. He said, Matthew would say, how much money do we put in And as the producers? And I would sort of yeah. do a, a, a slip, a fall, and can come to him <laughs> and say, uh, Bloom, there are two rules uh, to being a, a good producer. <laughs> One is never put your own money in the show, yes. he would say, and two. And then I would have to lean into his ear and scream, never put your own yes. money in the show. Yes. I, can't, I can't do it anymore. I'm old. <laughs> I, used to, I used to scream it at such a pitch. Oh, my gosh. And so that used to get a hand. And then two months in, three months in, dead silence. So then really? I, yeah, really? So I would say, I mean nothing. So Matt, really? so I would examine it and say, am I doing something wrong? Is it too much? Am I, do, you know, is it too much in the producers? Um, so um, I, I like at one point I said, let's try some reverb. <laughs> oh my God. I did that. Um, I, I tried throwing it away. I tried, I tried yeah, everything. tried everything. And it, it just wouldn't. And the more I tried, the harder he would laugh. And then if he laughed, I would go because. Oh, that's so funny. It's so tiring. Eight shows a week. And, you know, I, uh, you know, I have a certain amount of guilt. People pay a lot of money and they don't want to see the Carol Burnett show 
Tim Conway, Harvey Corman thing, but it, yeah. it was, I, I would say it was always genuine. He he truly makes me laugh. Yes, you're right. Harder than than pretty much anybody. You know, we reference Mike Nichols a lot in my movie, Don't Think Twice. And I always wonder, because he was obviously this legendary improviser, sketch comedian in terms of his roots. When you were working with him, uh, was improv part of his process? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yes and no. His process, which if you read uh, the Mark Harris book, which just came out, uh, which is great. um, Yes. Very comprehensive, beautifully written. Uh, and it really sort of gives you a very clear picture of his his Mike's process on different projects with actors. And he certainly all his process was informed by um, the Compass Theater and Second City yes, in Chicago yes. and then going to New York for a while and studying with Strasburg and then coming back. And the work with Elaine, all of that prepared him. He didn't realize it at the time, but he said when. Finally, he was directing Barefoot in the Park. He thought, oh, this is this is what I'm supposed to do. Wow. I was preparing. I didn't know it, but I was preparing to be a director. Um, and even though, you know, when they were together, Elaine, of course, wanted to do something different every night. And he he wanted to hone and refine what the, you know, these pieces that they had worked out so carefully and she would have thrown it all away and just started a uh, fresh and um so that was sort of their their dynamic he was he was sort of directing those scenes without without really knowing it he just sort of seemed bossy to her but um so when we did that film that little film the birdcage uh, <laughs> applause if there's an audience here right now we'd all applaud nathan I know. <laughs> I'm glad. Thank God I made it. And out of 35 or so films, thank God I did that one. Yeah. Um, no, he uh, obviously she, she was adapting, you know, the, the the original French play and screenplay, and yes, he was Le very protective. He was yes, Lacazette Fall, but he was very protective of her and her adaptation. But and we rehearsed it like a play. He did that very often, which was. Is highly. Oh, I didn't know that he rehearsed it like a play. He did. It was very highly. It was highly unusual in film for a director to say we'll have three weeks of rehearsal. Wow. So he directed. Certainly, that one was like a play, and he would say, "Feel free. I know you like to improvise and ad lib. You know, he's, he was mainly talking to Robin, and, <laughs> and he said, feel free, and then we'll yeah. we'll we'll keep what's the best, and then and then, but then when we start shooting, they'll we won't do any of that. Yeah, because Robin and I looked at each other like, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, but uh, and we were, you know, we were very well behaved. I mean, we did what was written, but then he would he was very gracious and would say, give us what he referred to as the wild take. Yes, we yes. could we could improvise and ad lib. So I was saying that um, he, he would fall in love with his cast. He, he, and like any, yes. any great man, he, he had that ability to make you feel like the most important person in the yes. world to him. And, and he, it was like a love affair. Yeah. And so he was incredibly, incredibly loving and supportive, but you also wanted to please daddy because yes. It was just that part of him that was in very intimidating that you were in awe of because he was Mike Nichols and uh, because of all he had done and because- That's what I was saying about you earlier. Oh, Jesus, no. But he, Mike, <laughs> you know, came in and went out This always the smartest guy in the room and, wow. you know, had this miraculous wit, but also, you know, it could be lethal. If if um, yeah. if he turned on somebody. So you never wanted to- um, uh, uh, get on the bad side of Mike. Yes. So, um, for an, as an example, it may, this maybe came out of his improv roots. He would sometimes he would feel like this is too. Um, we've it's too worked out. 
Yeah. Uh, uh, um, you know, he wanted it, you know, what his big rule was, you know, we're obviously we're telling, telling the story, but yeah. also, uh, this is now treat this like King Lear, you know, it's, and what would this be like if it happened in real life? Stepping away from my conversation with Nathan Lane to send a shout out to Helix Mattresses. We're thrilled to have the support of Helix Mattress here on Working It Out. In 2021, I've been sleeping on a Helix mattress for the past year. It's amazing. <laughs> it's uh, My in-laws stayed at our house recently. They slept in the Helix, and then they ordered one using my offer code. <laughs> you can use it too, just like my in-laws. Go to helixsleep.com slash burbigs. Take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will be the best darn sleep of your darn life. That is a PG ad right there. I added the darns. That was me. Uh, right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. For our Working It Out listeners at helixsleep.com slash B-I-R-B-I-G-S. And now, back to the show. For me, the thing I was describing earlier when you presented my show was, uh, I guess, what they call an inflection point in my life, where everything in my life, when I think back, is like before that and after that. Uh, because all of a sudden I had this show where every night it would just be, you know, it'd be Buck Henry would show up or Matthew Broderick or, or, you know, Andrea Martin, all these people. And you couldn't, I couldn't even believe it. My life before that was at Go Bananas. You know what I mean? I mean, (laughs) I was at the Trump Casino for God's sakes. I, I, I was like, you know, I was driving to colleges through, through mountains, you know, in the middle of the winter. And then all of a sudden I was like, you know, having all these you know, luminaries in New York come see me. Did you have that? I feel like you had that a handful of times in your career and Birdcage was one of them, but you had it even yeah. before that. Like what was the, what was, what do you think was the biggest one you ever had? Oh, well, um, you know, the, uh, my Broadway debut, uh, there was, it was a little bit of that. Um, it was George C. Scott who yeah. directed this revival of an, an old coward play called present laughter and starred in it. And, um, and so that was a big deal for me. Yeah. And, and, uh, it was, a, and it was a big success. Um, this revival of guys and dolls I did in 1992, that Jerry Zacks directed, which is now kind of a, a beloved, um, revival and, uh, so that was, and that really was a big hit and everyone came to see that. And, um, you know, certainly forum, funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Yeah, and, of course. And, yeah. But nothing, nothing compared to the producers. It was, that was, was like what you're talking about where the people walk through the door that you never thought you'd ever meet, you know, like, yeah. Har- but the people I loved were like Harvey Corman, <laughs> yes. you, know, you know, who would come back or, uh, and say how much they love B. B. Arthur. You know? Oh, I love that. Oh, or um, I mean, everybody. Kofi Annan. Wow. <laughs> Barbara Walters and oh my um, gosh, Alan Greenspan and oh my gosh. Al Gore. No, everyone in the world saw the producers, and um, uh, but yeah, those those kind of comedy legends who came. You know, when you meet them, it's you know special uh, treat. That's special treatment. That is special treatment. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, those moments you never forget. You know, like Carol Burnett. Oh my God! Uh, saying coming back and getting very emotional after the producers saying it was wow. it reminded her of what Broadway used to be like, and oh. it was sort of you know just like a big party and um, yeah, it's is- it's extraordinary when you when you get to meet those people and wow. You know, that's uh wow um so one of the other questions that we ask is uh in the slow round is do you have a memory on a loop from your childhood that you think about sometimes but you but it's it's not necessarily even a story a memory on a loop <laughs> well good good or bad because <laughs> i have both no anything anything um, 
I was in a spelling bee. And, uh, and, and I, you know, this, it's so long ago. And I was just a kid. And I um, apparently when I, I spelled a word correctly and then I exited like Jackie Gleason. I, <laughs> sort of like away we go. <laughs> like that. And, yeah. uh, you know, got a huge laugh and, and got a mention in the local paper. That's incredible. Uh, Nobody gets pressed from the spelling bee. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, you know and what's on the on the on the bad end of the spectrum? I've you know, I've heard you mention it in interviews before, but your I would guess your mom the stuff with your mom. Oh yeah. Well, you know she she had a hard life. You know she yeah. was kind of my father was an alcoholic. Uh, he died when I was 11. He essentially drank himself to death. So there's a lot of sad memories of that. Yeah. But, you know, and then she was trying to raise three children on her own and she was, she was working and, and, the, and uh, my, her mother, my grandmother, you know, was helping her. But um, yeah, she eventually, he died and then uh, her mother died and then she kind of had a breakdown and and it wasn't until like five years later it was diagnosed as manic, then what was called manic depression and now yeah. bipolar. But um, yeah, it was for a childhood, it was, you know, believe me, there were worse childhoods, but it was harrowing um, to watch your, you know, your, your parent um, go through that after yeah. having watched your other parent drink himself to death. Yeah, yeah, I can only imagine. Um, so, uh, so one of the things we talk about in the slow round is, is about advice and the, you gave me this piece of advice when I made sleepwalk with me into a film, which ended up being a huge part of the editing process. And we quoted you in the edit quite a bit, which is that when you read a, the script adaptation of the show, you said to me, because you don't mince words, Nathan Lane does not mince words. <laughs> you said, uh, this feels like an indie film adaptation of a really special play. And it doesn't feel like you. It doesn't feel like you're, 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 you, it's not, it doesn't feel special the way the play does. And I think you should focus on how can we make it special in its own way, in its own cinematic way. And so when we were making it in the edit, we added all those monologues where I'm driving and I'm looking at the camera and I'm monologuing to camera. That was just me and a camera operator in the middle of the editing process, driving around uh, New York State and Connecticut, right. shooting off footage and then dropping it into the footage that we had. And it became this sort of amalgam thing, which was following your note, which is like essentially make it your own. And the thing I was curious about is like, what is the piece of advice that you received in your career from someone that was maybe, you know, not, you know, hard to hear at the time, but the person was right? Well, um, I, I was, uh, I became close friends with the Brit a British playwright named uh, Simon Gray, a rather underrated playwright, uh, famous for... Uh, especially with his collaboration, his collaborations with Alan Bates, they did a play called Butley that was, which I eventually yes. did on Broadway uh, in a revival, but it was sort of definitive with Alan Bates and and that sort of established Simon. And but he wrote a lot of plays, a wonderful play, Quartermain's Terms. Also, he wrote these diaries, brilliant, hilarious. He was one of he was incredibly witty, and I did a play of his called The Common Pursuit, which was. Uh, done in London, and then we did it. I did it first at the Long Wharf Theater in New Haven, and then I did mm -hmm. it in a in L.A. I wound. It was just an accident that I wound up doing it there, and then um, eventually it was done off Broadway. And um, but when we were in New Haven, and uh, Simon Gray and I uh, were <laughs> drinking heavily, and <laughs> we were at a bar, and he said to me, "You know, Nathan." I think, I think you could be a great comedian or a great actor. Oh. And he said, I think you should become a great actor. Oh. 
That is fascinating. Um, so I, you know, I knew what he was talking about. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, and I said, uh, yeah, I know what you mean. And, um, in other words, he was saying that you were maybe playing to the crowd a little bit on, on jokes and tip tipping over the story potentially. Perhaps. <laughs> Stepping away from my conversation with Nathan Lane to send a shout out to Me Undies. Me Undies underwear is my favorite underwear, and I, I didn't have one. I didn't have one before. I had no favorite underwear. I was just a man in this world with no favorite underwear. I was just wearing. I was just wearing whatever underwear they had at the store, and now. Now everything has changed. I I listened to, this is ridiculous and true. I listened to a podcast like you're doing right now where they said, me undies is the most comfortable underwear, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, nah, all right. I mean, I'll try it. I mean, literally, I'll try it. If you say you're the best, I'll try it. I tried it, and now I'm now I it's all of my underwear. All of my underwear is me undies, and it could be yours too. To get your 15% off your first order with free shipping and a hundred percent satisfaction guarantee, go to meundies.com slash burbigs. That's meundies.com slash burbigs. And now back to the show. So part of the show is I, I work out uh, new bits since I don't have an audience. New you, stories. We we help you write material. Yeah, theoretically, that's you the idea. The show business version of Tom Sawyer getting his friends to paint the fence. <laughs> <laughs> we'll use that. We'll use that in the show description from now on. Uh, that is hilarious. But I thought that you might be able to help with this one because I feel like you and I have had conversations like this over the years. Sure. Um, not about this specific story, but which is so. A few years ago, I go to the. To, to my doctor and, and, and he, and he sends me a cardiologist and he basically, basically says like, you need to work out, <laughs> you need to do cardio five days a week, whatever. And right. I was just like, that's not going to happen, but I'll give it a shot. <laughs> One day I'm in an exercise class and my instructor, this woman, Sarah was talking to some, uh, marathon runners that she runs with. And I, I thought, well, I'm not going to do that, but Maybe I'll ask Sarah if I could hire her to teach me how to run. So for the next couple of weeks, Sarah took me on jogs over the Brooklyn Bridge and the Manhattan Bridge. And I thought, the only part I don't like is that it feels like I'm going to die every second that I'm running. So eventually I get a little better. But at some point, Sarah uh, stopped returning my phone calls and we've never spoken since. And I'm not saying I got dumped by my running coach, but I'm saying it's very possible I got dumped by my running coach. Like, it's almost like she originally saw me as a fixer-upper and then realized I was unfixable. There would be no fixing nor upping, just breaking and downing. It's like when someone looks at a beat-up house and goes, the bones are good, and then they realize the bones aren't even good. (laughs) Anyway, so now I was going running alone, rain or shine, and one night I'm jogging in pouring rain. I just so happen to be jogging by a puddle the size of a small river. And an SUV drives through it, and it came over me like a tidal wave, like in a movie or cartoon. And the and the SUV stopped, and then it went in reverse 10 feet, not to see if I was okay, uh, just to laugh at me and stare and then drive away. Oh, it'd be good if your running coach was in the van. <laughs> and Sarah, it was Sarah in the SUV. That's right. Some sort of Bond villain moment of yes, rolling the window down and laughing and then driving away. And, and I, stroking, it ends stroking a cat. Yes, and it, <laughs> stroking. They're, they're stroking a cat. That's very funny. Yeah, uh, yeah. Something that makes them even more villainous than they are. 
And I don't think they meant to splash me in the first place. But once they did, Nathan, I think they thought they had hit the jackpot. They stayed there for about 15 seconds, staring and laughing as though they had won a prize. Wow. And then they And then they drove away when they realized that I wasn't a modern-day middle-aged leprechaun. Modern-day middle-aged leprechaun. Is this... It, um, <laughs> Is this because of the the what you're wearing? Oh no, I mean it's actually not. Although that's sort of fun, is if I is if I if I made it uh, related to my outfit. Because you know, I feel um, if you have the right, there's there's a reason why those businesses are so successful, Lululemon and all of that stuff. Yeah, sure. And you have the right outfit and you know and running yes. shoes and so yes. forth. It makes you feel uh, it's like an actor getting the right costume. You That's know, you right. Start to feel the part because if you're in like if you're like me and you're like in the sweatpants, you know, you slept in, and a and a t-shirt or something. It's it's like it doesn't it doesn't live up to um, the your 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 goals, your dreams. <laughs> um, but if you if perhaps you know it's it that. Um, I, I don't know what exactly transpired between you and uh, this woman. Did, did you sense any sexual tension? Was it? Was there? I don't think so. I, I don't think so. I think genuinely, she thought she could save me. Well, uh, yeah, and uh, and then she just she just stopped returning your calls. Yeah, she just ghosted me. Wow. It was a it was a fade away. It was a, if, I, if I'm getting specific, it was a fade away. A fadeaway? Well, it, it, yeah. Or maybe there's something in, uh, you know, that you started stalking your, your running home. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, there is something to, like, at what point no. when you're, no, when you're contacting Pope, someone. I will not be ignored. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you just keep showing up in, 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 <laughs> in, in, in leotards and, and tank tops. I think that's very funny. I think also like the thing you're saying about my outfit is true. Like I do like, I have the reflective shoes and I have the, yeah, I do. I do. I have, I have the sort of the run. I go to the running, I think it's called like the runner's shop or the runner's store. And I do, I get the runner's outfit. And I think you're right. That could make the leprechaun payoff be stronger. When I uh, when I'm going, I went into Lululemon once because, and then I re- I looked at the I had shame. I just had body shame, <laughs> age shame, and I just I, I wound up buying a hat and a pair of socks. And yeah. then I, um, but I because I thought, oh my god, you really have to be in shape to wear those clothes. And, yes, yes. And then the only way to get in shape is to wear those clothes and actually do something. So this is just never going to happen. Um, well, you and I have this thing in common from years ago. I remember we talked about this cause you were getting in shape for a show and, and you would sort of entertain your trainer, which would sort of put off the training. Oh, totally. I do this a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I do this. Well, I did that with therapists. <laughs> I would be so entertaining, and then we wouldn't talk about anything serious. Yeah. Oh, I would, you know, even when I went with count, when Devlin and I went to counseling, I would, I would like to try to make the the, the therapist like me better, like you more. Yeah, sure. So I would talk about showbizy things. Oh gosh. You know, um, uh, yeah, no, and so yes, the trainer. I would definitely do my. I do everything to distract them. When I would meet them at the gym, and then we said talk about movies. Yes, any, yes. Anything to avoid getting on a bike. Yes, yeah. I I wrote this one last one, which is um, I feel like I'm getting older. This is of course what my whole next show is about. It's uh, it's called YMCA Pool, and it's all about mi- hitting middle age. And right, I'm I'm getting older, and my health isn't trending upward. It's not like those ads for lotion. Where the person is like, I'm getting older, but I feel younger. I'm getting older and I feel older. The lotions aren't working. <laughs> I, I'm like if Gollum used lotion. Because I, I bet Gollum's friends are like, hey, Gollum, have you tried any lotions? <laughs> and he's like, I've tried the lotion. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't do Gollum. <laughs> what lo- what lotion did you get, Bert's Bees? You know, and they're like, well, try, you know, ponds. And he's like, swamp? And they're like, no, ponds. <laughs> um, he's like, this is my precious lotion. <laughs> Good. It's it's sort of a your golem is somewhere between Carol Kane and Ruth Gordon. Oh my I like gosh. it. <laughs> um, golem. You know you can't go wrong with a golem bit. <laughs> the final thing that we do is we uh, I donate to a nonprofit uh, of of your choice. I would just say Broadway Cares. Uh, Great. Fights AIDS. Yeah. That that's great. I did a um I, I I did an event recently uh where where some of the Broadway Cares folks were there as well, and it was for the Center Theater Group, and they and they and, right. and uh I know they're trying to raise a lot of money right now. It's just, it's a tremendous organization. Yeah, and I will donate to them, and uh and I and we'll put the the link to them in the show notes, and uh, they do an amazing amount of of great work. Oh yes. Oh no, it's. You know, it's always known as the philanthropic heart of Broadway, but it they do so many. There's so many other things with food banks and and clinics and the women's uh, Phyllis Newman's Women's Health Initiative for breast cancer, and it, it goes on and on and on. And 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 the, now their COVID relief fund. It's extraordinary the amount of money uh, that they've uh, given away in grants yeah. and, and and so forth. And and so it's it's not just. Uh, Broadway Cares Equity fights AIDS. It's they're fighting many, many things and and winning. Yes. Um, well, thank you, Nathan. I I can't thank you enough for everything that you've been so generous about in my career, in my life, in my personal oh, life. Jesus, my pleasure. I I uh, it's nice to uh, get to spend a little time with you and uh, give my love to Jan and Una. And uh, I love you. And um, you know, I wish you all the best. I love you too, Nathan. Working it out, cause it's not done. Working it out, cause there's no Wow, that was uh that was Nathan Lane. I I just so appreciate uh all of his guidance and thoughts even that stuff about the the running story all of his notes i've actually already started to make changes to 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 uh explore different areas which is exciting uh so my thanks to nathan lane um our producers of working it out are myself along with peter salomon and joseph berbiglia consulting producer seth barish sound mix by kate belinsky assistant editor mabel lewis special thanks to my consigliere mike berkowitz as well as marissa herwitz and josh Afall. special thanks for our music to jack antonoff and as always a very special thanks to my wife J. Hope Stein, the poet, our book, which is called The New One, is in your local bookstore. As always, a special thanks to my daughter, Una, who created this radio fort made of pillows. Thanks most of all to you who have listened. Tell your friends, even tell your darn enemies, we are working it out.